Welcome, truth seekers all across the fruited plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you Civics Made Simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Now, we're going to talk about a really, really interesting thing today about limited government, but how a limited government can protect the individual rights of its citizens. And so we're still going to go back. Our lessons haven't brought us completely up to current time yet. But what we're going to do, we're still in the in the Constitution being signed period of time and the things that are going on in that landscape. And what our lessons will do is sort of lay a historical foundation for us and bring us up to modern day understanding. And so um, so if you're wondering, well, why are not we talking about what's going on right now? Civics wise. Well, what we want to do is lay lay that foundation of, of understanding why things got to be the, the way they were and how that now manifests for us here in the in the right now. So we just so it's sort of historical, but but laying a foundation um, and we're using the Alpha Omega publishing um, civics lesson and they've entitled this lesson limited government, um, the relationship between political and economic freedom. And so where we are, what we're talking about today is how the the authors of the Constitution um, developed into the Republic and how the views and opinions of citizens could and should be voiced by and to a group of elected officials and qualified representatives. And so one of the first things that this limited government should do that the founding fathers, I'm sorry, love my Cincinnati Reds. Okay. One of the things that the founding fathers wanted to do was provide liberty for states and citizens. And so the primary goal of the writers of the Constitution was to form a government that would have enough power and authority to guarantee the common good of the American society as a whole, but at the same time be sufficiently limited in its ability to trample upon the rights and liberties of its individual citizens. Now that's, if you think about it, that's really a monumental task because obviously that had never been done before. Most times everything was a monarchy. And so the monarchy didn't care. They just, well, I won't say they didn't care, but they just set the, they just set the sails. They just set the course of the country and that was it. Deal with it. They didn't really have a heart for what the people might have wanted. They just set aside and, and set forth. This was the direction of the country. But what's really unique about what the founding fathers really wanted to do was to give the individual a voice, but at the same time protect society. And it's almost like you want to ask them like, well, who does that? Because it had never been done before, but they felt like this was what they needed. They needed to go micro, macro and micro at the same time. And you know, it, so who, who does that? Who thinks that way? Well, our founding fathers did. Then the other, another point um, that the lesson points out is, the, is that what, the, what they wanted, the founding fathers wanted the American government to provide liberty. Now let's talk about that really quick. They decided that they wanted to create laws and, and structures of government 
that would guide our society and preserve the freedoms of citizens. They were very, very um, aware that government unchecked could run over the rights of the individual citizen. So they decided to, <laughs> I just got a text. It's like, Ooh, okay, oh, just bear with me. They decided that it would be necessary to write these laws, freedoms and structures into a constitution. Now, our constitution was not the first constitution, but it became the U.S. Constitution, which served as the plan for our national government. And so the next important factor that the founding fathers wanted to ensure that this constitution or this new government would adhere to was the fact that the new government should adhere and follow natural law. Now, the theory of natural law says that natural order exists in our universe, that this theory puts forth the idea that all things have a certain and natural moral design. Now, through reasoning, um, philosophers over the course of time believed that governmental power had limits and, and all people in governments were bound by natural law. Now, this reasoning really did influence Thomas Jefferson as he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Um, in which he declared that famous line um, that humans had unalienable, say it fast, unalienable rights. And in the, in the Declaration of Independence, he called those unalienable rights life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, if these rights were unalienable, then government would have no authority to, my hand is getting, hopefully I'm back. Hopefully I'm back. Okay. I'm going to keep going. That government would not have the authority to remove or to deny those rights. And so he was very, very clear and very adamant that those things continue. Unalienable rights. We cannot take these rights away from the individual. And so the new government wanted to make sure that this understanding was a contractual arrangement between people and the government. And it became known as representative government. Now here in the States, we had in 1619 in Virginia, we had the first um, representative government that was created and established, but the first written um, agreement between government and the people came in 1620 in what was called the Mayflower Compact. And what this compact stated was that the people agreed to obey the law and the government agreed to protect the people. That seems pretty simple, right? Like here's, here's our understanding and everybody, we're going to do our part and you people, you individuals are going to do your part. You agree to follow the law and we agree to protect you. That seems pretty clear and pretty good. And so as the Constitutional Convention happened in 1776, um, those folks that were there were united in a desire to create a new government that would be strong enough to rule the nation while at the same time respect the liberties of the states and the people. Now, if you guys get a chance, please go watch the um, docudrama of John Adams. It will give you a really good picture of the, the haggling that was going on at that Continental Congress 
when they were writing and signing the Declaration of Independence and declaring that these states were going to be united. They actually had to be united. Like all 13 colonies had to agree that this was what was going to happen. And so, you know, growing up, we kind of think that it's like this utopia that everyone came and they were dancing on fairy dust and they were all so excited to, 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 to become independent and be free from England. But no, that really wasn't how it all sort of transpired. Though we get this romantic view of what happened, it's really good. It's a really good dramatization of really all the haggling and the handholding and the agreement making that went on for the states to be united. So when you get a chance, just check that out. Where are we? We are moving on. So what ended up happening in that Continental Congress was that the new government ended up being modeled after so many of the states because um, the states had models of legislatures with an upper house and a lower house, which became representative of our Senate and our House of Representatives. And so the system of government present in the 13 states was the model that was adopted into the Constitution. And that also helped in the... um, in the balance of power that the um, federal government um, has become known for. So almost done, just hang with me. I know I'm, I'm fidgety, I feel fidgety, but it's okay, I'm almost done. It's Cincinnati Reds, we're getting them up in the standings. Um, providing liberty through a federal republic. Now this is a really, really interesting thing. And you guys know this as Americans instinctively, but I don't know that you put a term to it. So let me just describe this really quick. Um, In adopting the Constitution, the states maintained some of their sovereignty and delegated some powers to the national government. Like they gave up some of their stateness to become part of a collective um, while still maintaining some individual states um, rights and laws, because, you know, even now you can, the, the laws in, in Texas don't apply to the state of Michigan. The laws in Arizona don't necessarily apply to the, to the state of Maryland. They're different laws in different states, right? Like we know that we understand that, but this arrangement of government in which both state and national government, um, have authority over the same citizen is known as federalism. Now, that's what it was then, right? But under the federal system of government, power is divided on the basis of territory. There are two levels of government over the same people and the same area. So the two levels of government are state and federal. Now, in, during that time with the, with the 13 states, right, you only had state law and federal law. But now think about how many laws and and layers there are that we are ruled under. I don't know if we should call it multi-federalism because we have municipalities and even then counties and then even state and then federal. So it's sort of like it started off being two, but now in some places it can be as many as four at least. I know here in Florida we have city and then we have county. And then we have state and then we have federal. I'm trying to think if there's anything else in between. And so in your area, it may be multi like that as well. You might have different areas and levels of government. And I don't know what, what term that is. So maybe it's just, maybe we made up a new term. It's multi-federalism because 
it goes beyond just the two state rule for you and for me. So it's pretty interesting when you think about it. And so um, state laws and federal laws express the authority of the state and the national government and provide for a div- and provide for a division of power that protects the citizens by keeping power from being concentrated only at the state or national level. Now that's huge because the founding fathers never wanted it to be um, oppressive where one rule applied, where it was like the federal government speaks and that's it. There's nothing else, there's no more recourse. They did not wanna have that blanket over the people, which would have just been sort of a monarchy because Once again, you have one voice and whatever that voice says goes. That is not what the founding fathers wanted. So they had, so then this implementation of federalism um, came into being where you had a state rule and then you had federal rule, which once again is, was, was so out of the box at the time because you could ask who does this? Who literally gives power back to the people? No one was doing that. Founding fathers are pretty amazing. But anyway, and the last thing and last point that they want to talk about in this lesson is providing liberty through a separation of powers. Now, separation of powers, we know that they're they're different branches of government. Now, interestingly enough, we will get to this. We now say that they're equal branches of government, but in the Constitution, it wasn't written that way. But we'll talk about that later. I don't want to confuse the issue. Just let's say that there's that, that there's liberty is provided by separation of powers. Um, Jefferson and the founding fathers got this idea from a French philosopher called Montanescu, which I'm sure you might've heard of, but basically what Montanescu said was that there should be more than one seat of power. Now we have an executive branch, we have a judicial branch and we have a legislative branch. No branch is supposed to be higher in authority than the other. Once again, we'll talk about that as the days come along. But that the simple idea, once again, you have to think, you can't just look at now, but understand how radical this idea was (laughs) in the 1700s, how radical it was to divide power. Most of the, the governments of that time were trying to consolidate power, bring all the power to themselves, not let it go out to the states, not let it go out to the individuals so that those rights would be protected. So this thing was completely just, it was so radical. It was so never done before that this grand experience experience and experiment of America doing government this way, allowing it to transpire this way is what we're fighting for today. So guys, that is it. Now let me tell you what our lesson is for for next time. This is gonna be really interesting. Um, it's titled liberalism, republicanism, and the American constitutional Republic. Now here's the thing. Don't think of it in the terms that we understand them today. We're going to examine the original meanings of those words and those parties and see if they correlate any to what we're experiencing today. So that should be a very, very interesting lesson. And that is all we've got. It has been my pleasure. So guys, I'm so thrilled, so honored, and so pleased to be able to present these lessons to you. Have an awesome day. Share them with your friends. Let them know that there's some funny lady on Facebook that's giving these lessons out. 
just to help keep people educated and informed. So God bless you guys. We love you. We'll talk to you soon, friends. Have a great one. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me, for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.